What color I is the, I need to know what color is the can. Oh, I don't know. It's been a while. It's like a like a golden beige. It's very uh, neutral. You're so you are the most unhelpful person I've probably ever met in my life. And welcome <laughs> to the Downer Front Podcast. How's it going, guys? <laughs> hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> we are back. Super, super excited to talk about this hilariously awesome movie. I mean, it has so many stunts. It's the newest Atomic Blonde movie starring Shlise Theron and James McAvoy. It's just a bunch of people that talk about it. But before we get into our feature film, I want to go around and just chat about who's here today, what you guys have been watching, what you guys are sipping on. And of course, we're going to start with the mouth from the south. Brian, how's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Good to see your face. Thank you. It's good to hear your voice and see your face. Oh, thanks. Um, sorry, I was looking at this photo. Of <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's the best I can do in five minutes. That's okay. Uh, we will definitely make sure that we put this photo in the show notes of it. Yeah. So, so yeah. Definitely for that. But uh, yeah, what you sipping on? What you been watching? Uh, right now I'm sipping on um, an Amstel beer, X-Lite. And the X might be a Roman numeral 10 for the amount of... Uh, Money I spent on is like ten cents. Oh, how about it could be also an X for extra beer, but I highly doubt that. What's the ABV? Uh, it is ninety calorie, ninety calories, two grams carbs, uh, four point two cent ABV. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's Maybe. it's a it's a generic beer. If you're in a movie, you probably ask, "I'll have a beer." This is what they give you. I mean, it's a very generic label. And too. stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what I've been watching recently is I just finished up Fargo Season 3. And uh, once again, this is uh, probably my favorite TV series going on right now. And a lot of people were complaining that it didn't have the uh, goofiness or hilarity of the previous two seasons. Um, but I also found it to be a really nice change of pace because it took on kind of like a no country for old men kind of feel like it opens up with a scene that's like a very intense dramatic scene never goes back to it. it's all about just the what does it mean in terms of humanity what does it mean in certain situations what your humanity is going to bring out of you mm -hmm. uh, which I, I always like it when people just explore um, explore like what the what the human condition is all about yeah um, also, they got some really crazy body horror that makes you cringe uh, during this season. Um, that involves, I'll just say, it involves teeth. But it's Ooh. it's definitely scenes that were just like uh, tough to watch, but oh. it brings a lot to the character that it involves as well. Um, it starred uh, David Thewlis, uh Mary Elizabeth Winstead, 
is always amazing. Ewan McGregor, who plays twins in the show, and it's really fantastic to see him take on uh, that type of role. And it's also really cool to uh, that this is from Noah Hawley. He's always been a showrunner since the first season. And ever since Mad Men ended, and that was run by Matt Weiner. I was like, Matt Weiner's the guy. He writes a story and can create a TV series that has everything I need from compelling characters to interesting storylines to um, just making you think a little bit more about um, what a character may have inside of them or being able to actually express um, through actors and through words uh, just what is the story about. And I find Noah Hawley's doing that same thing for me. So not only does he do Fargo, he also is the showrunner of Legion. You'll get similar tones and similar, like, very unique storytelling styles through both of them. Cool. I mean, I do like that show. I think I was watching it when I was in Florida for a little bit with Jody and his parents, and there was a scene that involves like, air conditioning. Air conditioning. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so I think I saw the first, like, maybe episode, maybe second episode, I'm not sure. Uh, but I was like, oh, my gosh. And I think I've seen all of season one. I just skipped season two accidentally. Uh, that I just picked up on season three, so it's definitely a show I want to go back and just binge all of it because I just keep hearing great things about literally every season of Fargo. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's a can't miss. I mean, everybody should be watching it. Nice. Well, as always, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts about Atomic Blonde. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Mocha Mike. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's going well. How's you doing? Doing very well, doing very well. I'm sitting here sipping on a Sam Adams Big Boy Boston Lager. Ooh. Um, big Boy because of the size. That's not the actual trademark name of the beer. Um, but yeah, just enjoying that right now on this balmy summer's evening. Um, as far as what I've been watching lately, I recently finished Castlevania, the, the Netflix original anime. Um, really cool show if you're into any form of animation, whether or not it's anim- like Japanese anime specifically. Um, it was an interesting watch. It was about four half-hour episodes that were really just one long movie chopped up. Um, and it seemed to be sort of the prologue for an upcoming story, um, which definitely uh, seems to be the case since Netflix has already, already greenlit the next season. Hmm. Um, but it was great for anyone who's a video game fan. It follows along the, the plot line of the third Castlevania game pretty closely. Um, so it follows Trevor Belmont uh, as, as he travels around with Dracula's son, Alucard, trying to stop the horde of demons that he's unleashed upon the world. Um, really cool, really fluid animation, especially when it comes to the fight scenes. It was really exciting to watch. Definitely not for the faint of heart. If you're not into gore or viscera or anything like that, uh, this is a movie that is about demons on earth exacting revenge against humanity so you get a lot of weird scenes like um like babies being eaten and things like that so definitely not for the kids of the faint of heart but otherwise if you're a fan of anything dracula related definitely worth checking out cool Uh, i mean i definitely have seen that i think i may have played the game a little bit so i definitely want to kind of delve into that that's on netflix right correct yeah and Brylin, how did you watch um, season uh, season three of Fargo? Uh, I watched it on the FX um, Anywhere app. Okay, cool. I was going to make yeah. sure because need to get all these things. There's so much good content out there, so make sure that we can make and do a shout out for it. But as always, Mocha, you're looking sexy as always. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Obviously, one of the sexiest people on this podcast. So here you go. <laughs> the yes. sexiest person on the podcast, the Shredder 
himself looking like a character out of the movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> I look very good in East Berlin. Yeah, you do. Uh, Mike, how's it going, Mike? Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Um, it's, it's good to see everyone. Uh, right now, I'm drinking uh, currently my favorite mixed drink. Uh, it is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Uh, good old H2O. I don't know why I picked up my glass and showed it to the camera because no one else can see this. <laughs> uh, that was useful for me, though. I don't know what water looks like. Yeah. So. Mm. Don't drink on it. As you <laughs> uh, well, it's because it's you pronounce it weird. Water. You and uh, Mr. Abbott. Are just, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of no idea what anyone is talking about, I didn't see anything recently. Um, I was busy with kind of, you know, whatever life happens. And... Um, I would just like to take this moment to comment on the other big movie that came out with Atomic Blonde, uh, Emoji Movie, uh, and I would like to say that that is an obvious cash grab and terrible. No one should watch it. Uh, honestly, I read a good criticism that uh, the Down and Front podcast doesn't condone pirating movies, obviously. Uh, we want to make sure we support the people so they can give us content, so we can make content. You know, that's kind of how that works. Uh, but don't even pirate this movie. It is not worth the two hours that you will put. It's not even worth, like, backgrounds. Like, you should just focus on whatever you're doing 100%. Oof. Um, it is terrible, and they shouldn't make any more of these. Oof. Uh, that's it. That's it. Fair. What's your What's your most frequently used emoji? Uh, I have never emoted. You're a you liar. Never you're emoji. such a liar. Shut up. Uh, you're either uh, a filthy liar or you're 72 years old. One of the hang on. <laughs> no, in, in fact, I, I yelled at my mother one day because she sent me an emoji. And I was like, please, uh, mother, you're in a doctorate program right now. Don't do this. Uh, top three. Right, top three. Got to be top three. Top three is going to be... <laughs> Alright. It's the okay sign, the pointing arrow, and then the check mark. Okay. Okay. Mocha? Yep. For me, mine are the heart faced eyes, um, the black power fist, and <laughs> a blue heart. The blue heart? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to send red hearts. That's a little too a little too romantic for me. So I send blue hearts. Fair enough. Briley, what you got? My top three would be uh, the yellow middle finger, um, the sad, the just generic sad face, and the smiley face with uh, tears coming out. But I have to say, my personal favorite one for aesthetics is the one where there's kind of like got his hand on the chair yeah, like this, thinking like kind of at an yeah. angle. Uh, I'm so it's kinda, got a little extra effect to it. I'm kind of bummed because I'm looking at all these, and these are definitely not my most frequently used, but I'll say them anyway. Uh, the one is a kissy heart. Yeah. Uh, the second oh. one is the creepy. No, that makes complete sense. You've sent that to me so many times. <laughs> I probably have. <laughs> the second one is a creepy smile, like the kind of the cheesing with the small eyes. And the third one is the birthday uh, thing, but I I don't use that one that, that often. So that's kind of yeah. Funny. I think it shows your most recently used rather than frequently used. Yeah. Because if, yeah. if my keyboard is being honest right now, my most frequently used are definitely the screaming face emoji, <laughs> the crying and screaming face emoji, and the the green puke emoji. Um, I'm going through some stuff right now, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the I like the they got me with the grin, but I also like the stank look, but I also like the like the inquisitive like oh what's up look. Those are. <laughs> 
I'm sure. So one last thing on Emoji Movie before we move on. Uh, I just quickly looked it up. Uh, it looks like as of whenever Wikipedia updated last, um, Atomic Blonde is sitting at about a one-to-one. So they spent $30 million on it, and they've made about $30 million on the movie. Uh, whereas Emoji Movie is a little higher um, in terms of money made, but they're $20 million under the budget. Mm. So whoa, I think it's whoa, a good thing. Whoa, whoa. Well, sure. It's, it's still weird that they even made that much sequel. money, but... Yeah, yeah. Surprising. Tank emoji yeah. followed by fry, fire emoji followed by crying emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can do small emoji gifts that people just slam in the door because I will probably do that or flip on the table. That'll be my that'll be my favorite. And I am Warren, your host for this evening's show. Uh, currently, I'm sipping on a nice crisp bottle of rosé. Hashtag sip of that. It is uh, by uh, sorry the. The label actually wore off, so I'm gonna have to look at that later. So uh, this guy. How but, old is this bottle? Did you uh, find it on a sunken ship? No, I think it was like in my book bag or something like that when I was carrying it. So it was kind of wet. Oh, okay. and, yeah, who knows? Anyways, really good, super sweet, uh, and also like very refreshing. So I'll definitely kind of I'll tweet out the actual name of the wine whenever I look at the receipt. Um, other than that, I've actually haven't been watching too much. I've been working a bunch uh, and also keeping up with all my animes. Uh, one of the biggest ones besides the Dragon Ball Z and. Um, the Boruto, uh, has been just kind of reading a lot of different mangas, and me and Mocha talk about these. Not enough. Not enough, for sure. Uh, but that's okay. Um, that's cool. Uh, but yeah, so I think the biggest one I've been watching is My Hero Academia, because somebody just turned me on to that probably since we got Crunchyroll, and I just think I should probably go with, no, it wasn't you, Mocha, like, I just probably got Crunchyroll within the last, uh, maybe two months? Uh, and I think Steven Batts and Lewis uh, put me onto My Hero Academia. Um, Big so, news. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they told me about it, and then you told me about it. I was like, okay, 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 okay. And we're also not going to turn this into an anime and manga podcast, so there you go for that. And what we're going to do is that we're going to talk about our feature film, Atomic Blonde. And I'm super pumped to really get into talk about the wins, some things that didn't work, even some small Easter eggs uh, that we may want to talk about. Uh, but before we get into the review, I would say you probably want to pause it here if you haven't seen the movie. It will mean that we're going to be ruining everything, spoilers kind of off the gun, uh, whether it's we're talking about a lot of different character names or plot details and things like that that just didn't work, especially in our criticism section. So we'll give you a second, we'll take our small sip, and what we'll do is that we will go ahead and celebrate while you go watch the movie and come back, that Down to Front Podcast has had the most downloads last month, over 500. So congratulations, and we'll see you soon. And we are back, and thanks for hanging out with the Down to Front Podcast. Uh, my name is Warren, as your host. I'm with Mocha Mike, Mike the Shredder Bluet, and the Mouth of the South from South Bryland. We are here talking about Atomic Blonde. I'm going to go ahead and hand off the reins to Bryland. I'm really pumped to just like talking about some of the things that we really dug about this movie and why people should go watch it. So, Bryland, what you got? Uh, yeah, so first off, what I really liked about this movie is... I was walking in thinking it was going to be um, a female John Wick, and it was not a John Wick movie, which I really appreciated, uh, that it was something else. It was more of a classic spy film, I uh, think more Born Identity mixed with uh, uh, some more 
spy elements like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy would have. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about the action scene. So it's not about her about uh, Charlize Theron's character, uh, Lorraine Broughton, just collecting a body count and just tearing through Berlin, even though she does physically tear through a lot of people in this movie. Um, there's a really great style about uh, 1989 and the fall of Berlin Wall that it really captures and having the elements of multiple nations that are uh, that have their spies in this one city. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and they definitely really do a cool thing with the visual style. Like there's these title cards that are look like they're spray painted every single time they actually switch to a different place, which I really liked. Um, the music is actually really cool because not only do they have classic 80s songs that we all know and love uh, that are played through this movie, but whenever they reprise one of these songs, they actually bring in like the modern uh, cover of it, which I thought was a really unique style to the movie as well. Um, I think uh, James McAvoy is phenomenal as David Percival in this movie. He definitely just chews up scenery just as much as he's being has the incredible talent of being able to chew a cigarette while smoking it and talking and carrying on a normal conversation at the same time. I thought that was crazy. I think that was uh, really cool for his character that they're kind of leading on to think that he's the overarching bad guy behind everything, but it turns out that, I mean, he's just, he's a corrupt guy, but I wouldn't call him the bad guy. So it's cool to see that type of gray area for his character. Yeah. Um, and also really thought that Sophia Batella was really great in her small role as a French uh, spy, that uh, she, um, that all the spies in this movie kind of like, kind of encompass like a unique talent or a unique type of spy. And she's someone that takes photos and eavesdrops and has conversations. She gathers intelligence. And the way she does that a lot of times is she uses her sexuality and she uses uh, her uh, naivete and her innocence to kind of get close to people and uh, bring them in. And it becomes a neat uh, cat and mouse game of uh, who who can you trust? How much can you trust that person? What can you trust them with? So I really appreciate that they had those elements along with some fantastic action as well. Um, I thought it was really cool use of a classic spy trope. So Lorraine Broughton had her signature drink. She had her signature cig- cigarette. Um, she dressed a certain style when walking into a room. Um, and I thought those were all really cool ways of just kind of bring you into this world that they were trying to um, create for us. Yeah. I thought it was pretty just awesome itself. I just enjoyed, like, even from that small, like, tidbit of, like, a stoli in the rock. That's just something that's kind of awesome just to kind of hear for that. So I definitely thought it was kind of a, just a, it's a pretty cool thing. I'm just glad that that was, like, something that was a, a reoccurring sort of event that always happened. That's all that she wanted. Uh, Mocha, how's your boy? One one quick comment. Uh, I think um, it was kind of cool that Brown brought up that the music kind of changed. Uh, one thing I, I really noticed and liked is that they uh, not only modernized the sound, um, but they uh, changed languages a lot of the time. Like if uh, the song was presented in English the first time you heard it, it was presented in like German or uh, French or Russian the next time you heard it. Uh, and it kind of it took you out and we were like, hang on, is this the same thing or am I, you know, you kind of made you focus in and out of what was going on on the screen. Yeah. I thought that was also pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, even for the fact that when somebody would, like approach her in German, she's like, I'm not speaking that. 
maybe get the joke a little bit yeah. later on. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I just love like that humor and that part of when uh, Lorraine and uh, Spyglass is running out and she speaks German. She's like, you need to practice your German. That's just, just awful. <laughs> I just love that because he's fucking bleeding out as she's saving his life to, the, be that, to have the balls to say that. That was uh, pretty awesome. Smoka, talk to me. Come on. Like yeah, so this is a movie that I had a lot of fun watching. You know, this is, um, I feel like, the type of pulpy summer action film that I look forward to every every year when summer comes around. Something you can just kind of sit back and enjoy going on a thrill ride for. Um, the key to that was the action for me. I absolutely loved all of the action in this film. Um, you know, a bit contrary to what Brian had said earlier, I do think that there was a bit of a, an attempt to make this a Joan Wick. Uh, not for the entirety of the movie, but definitely when it came to the action, it was pretty brutal and intense um, and really, really exciting to watch, especially with some of the camera work that was done in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the there were times where the director seemed to be taking a very artsy approach to how he filmed the fight scene, where he would have a stationary camera and they'd be fighting, let's say, in front of a big light, so they're just silhouettes going back and forth, which looked cool. Except that in moments like that where the camera was still, you could sort of see that some moves are being telegraphed and maybe the choreography was a bit slow. Um, props to Charlize Theron for doing a lot of her own choreography in this film, period. Yes. I don't think she's done that much action, um, like fist-fighting martial arts in a movie before. And if it was her first time, then she killed it. Um, but aside from those artsy shots, but whenever the camera was actually working with the, um, the movements of the fighters, it became something different. You know, the fights, the the fights and the action was was really smooth and seamless, and you couldn't seem to see those same sort of stutter steps or telegraph moves as you might when it was standing still. Um, and I think that played out in a lot of different a lot of different points in this movie. Um, there was a huge amount of like really interesting and dynamic camera work. Um, one scene that in particular comes to mind is when um, Lorraine is driving uh, through the streets of Berlin with. Spyglass trying to escape the people that are trying to kill them, and they are going. They're in a small or narrow street, going both forwards and backwards. They keep changing their direction, and whichever direction they are moving in, the camera is looking at them perfectly from behind that windshield. And as soon as they switch gears and let's say go in reverse, the camera just kind of pivots, but it passes through the head of the passenger to come back around and show them both. Mm. And it does that a few times, and it was really, really interesting. Super seamless, really well edited and shot together, and made for some incredibly dynamic scenes that I just wasn't really expecting out of this movie. See, my, my favorite handy cam moment was, um, and so we, we looked it up, this guy who did uh, the Born whatever, Born 3. Uh, ultimatum yeah and so there's this scene where he fights this i think like algerian or north african you know some north african guy in uh, an apartment and um they actually do a very good job doing the handy cam where like shakes and stuff you know when that was very in vogue but you could follow it um so for me the standout uh scene was when she was fighting uh, a little bit before the driving scene and she was fighting the people in the apartment and the Handycam kind of moved like a person was there, where like it kind of would duck up and down, like you were nodding your head, trying to see, all right, what weapon are they going to pick up next? What, you know, where is this other person that just got thrown off the screen? And a couple times it, it waggled between the two combatants before they even made a, a move. And I thought that was kind of cool and really like engrossed you in, like you were in the room rather than watching it in the chair. Yeah. 
Yeah, the camera work was phenomenal, and it made for a lot of intense scenes. Uh, but the camera wouldn't have been anything without uh, the actors themselves. And Charlize Theron was a stone-cold bitch in this movie. And I mean that in the absolute most positive way I can. Um, she completely carried every single scene that she was in um, and really set the stage for what was going on. In fact, there were a lot of scenes where you know, the moment was made not by any dialogue or any like action fighting, but just by Charlize Theron's piercing, um, like fearless gaze that she would give to someone while they were talking to her, um, or while she contemplated the situation which she was in. Um, so many, so many scenes were just up close shots of her face, and I really believed that at any given moment she could snap the neck of the person that was looking at her. She was completely terrified, and I loved it. Uh, also, James McAvoy, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Brylan, huge shout out to him. He is someone who, every time I see him in, uh, in their new role, I'm always impressed further. Uh, I, the first time I was blown away with by him was in the movie Split, where he just brought so much diversity and so much of a dynamic energy to the different characters he played. And I saw a lot of that um, on display here in this movie. He's a really physical actor, and... He, his body language does half the acting for him, aside from the dialogue. But, um, you know, there's this really cool moment near the end of the movie where he's kind of injured and he's having this really emotional conversation with one of the characters. And he's actually, like, foaming at the mouth and spitting a little while he talks. And it's so cool to see an actor just get so into the, into the role um, like that. So he completely delivered in this movie. And the, those two together were a really, really cool combination that I hadn't really thought about wanting to see in a movie Prior to that, I mean, I yeah, his really monologue difficult. at the end uh, before he's killed. I mean, it's probably one of the best moments. Of yeah, too. Yeah, and he made a great foil for Charlize Theron's character too. Like David Percival to Lorraine, um, you know, he was really he was full of swagger. He was very expressive in his body language. He was almost always yelling or angry. He was would like fidget with a cigarette in his mouth, like you were talking about. Um, and you know, Lorraine was the exact opposite. She was very thin in life, uh, life and form, but also very smooth. She only spoke when she had to, and the things that she said were always uh, above notes. Lori was really life and form. Uh, she was completely smooth as ice every time she walked into a room. Um, there were a lot of times she kind of just blended into the environment with how still she was standing. Uh, so it was really cool seeing those two um, as like it's perfect yin and yang um, going throughout the movie. Another, another big shout-out for this film, something that really that I really enjoyed was the visual aspect, uh, especially for the set design. There was uh, there were some really, really cool sets set up. I think the one that comes to mind immediately is Lorraine's hotel room. Um, her hotel room in Berlin is this, like, this really sleek looking, completely lit with black lights, um, sort of like futuristic, but like 80s style futuristic. A lot of neon trim. Yeah, lots of neon everywhere that there was accents. You see bright, like, pink or green or blues. And I personally can't imagine staying sane in a room like that for more than three hours, just because I don't know what it would be like to just live in a world of black lights. But it made for some really cool scenes throughout. Um, and there were a lot of examples of that. You know, whenever they stepped out uh, into the outdoors, you often see the Berlin Wall, whether it was directly up close or from far away. And it looked, it was really, really cool to see. Nice. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of the Berlin Wall, that was one of the things that kind of 
really surprised me about this film. I didn't know much about about it going into it. I kind of pulled a war in where I just ignored any information. Um, I was really excited to see a film that was set during the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, this movie takes place during the final days of that wall's existence, or at least while it's standing. And that's an era of a really important part of our of world history that I think gets glossed over in a lot of fiction. Um, so it was really, really exciting for me to have something set with that as the backdrop. And it wasn't the main focus. You know, her her mission didn't directly relate to the wall itself, but because of how significant it was to the culture at the time and that moment in society, it's always in the background, whether it's their dialogue, whether it's her smuggling herself or others back and forth over the wall, um, it's always present. And so then that was just really cool uh, and really, really interesting and something new that I, I liked out of this film. Yeah, cool. Like I'm, I'm really pumped to even talk about that. I think one of the biggest things that I like to interject before I get over to um, Blewett here is just like the dynamic from those two characters of just his profession alone of borrowing clothes and I think or just like he would take a lot of clothes from like the actual environment or just the environment itself was just something that he always had on him and he looked like to be just disheveled and his arm was broken and a lot of just weird things with um, uh, David's character so that was pretty cool and Lorraine like you were saying it, it was almost like James Bond-esque I'm sure that was actually on purpose too so it looks as if like there was nothing even all the way down to her heels in one of the first uh, fight scenes I believe we see that she's kicking ass with her red heels or her stilettos I think they were uh, just kicking ass while in the car that was just like some, that, that's how it's actually gonna this is how this movie's gonna be I thought it was uh, pretty cool Blue, what you got for me? I should start this by saying I really love these stylized, like, late 90s, early 2000s type movies. Um, so going in, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pumped for this. Um, and it really kept it up. Like uh, Mike had said, it had all the neon colors and everything flashing um, around. Um, I thought that it really... Uh, it really like overcut, I guess you will, the tone of the movie that everything is gray. Like pretty much the entire thing is you don't really know the motivations of the characters. There's not really a, like a super clear good guy and a super clear bad guy. Um, and so you have this um, you have this concept where like not everything quite seems what it is, uh, and having the bad character motivations like they're good but they're ill intent. I should say, uh, with this really blown up '80s uh, couture, is uh, is, is nice, a nice offset thing. Um, I really, I think that also goes into the music. Um, can't be a Dynaphone prod podcast without me remarking on the music. Nice. Um, so I think that it really it carried over. Where uh, a lot of like these '80s pop songs are kind of bright and chipper sounding but when you listen to the harmonies and then you listen to the lyrics specifically you find out that they're really about like some pretty messed up stuff um i always like in i think that society moves in in you know in waves um and if you listen to a lot of music now like uh like trap music uh, is big in hip-hop and it's all like bright and flashy and but they're just like talking about being depressed and having to drink lean to like forget about being depressed and so i think it's a, a lot of the same thing is echoed in those 80s pop songs which again fits well with this flashy bright over the head thing that all these characters are kind of depressed and not really in the, the greatest mental state um 
kind of expanding on what I was talking about earlier um, in the fight scenes, not really the handicap, uh, handicap, not really the handicam stuff, but I thought it was great that they had long, uncut fight scenes. Um, I think that it was a really cool concept to have the camera be far away um, from the actors and actresses, uh, and so you couldn't really hide. Like Mike said, yeah, there was there was some things you could tell were telegraphed, and it was definitely choreographed, but um, the fact that they showed every single hit being thrown, blocked, and connected was really cool, instead of just having arbitrary cut to arbitrary cut to arbitrary cut, and thinking, wow, that was really fast, like, that must have been a fast fight scene. Um, the other big thing, and kind of like what I was talking about with Baby Driver, is uh, you know with that fights in Hollywood are depicted hilariously different than how they go down in real life. Um, with Baby Driver was gunshots, you know, and causing hearing loss. With uh, this movie, Atomic Blonde, I thought it was really great that the uh, characters would get tired through the fight where you don't have, you know, like in John Wick, he basically just mowed down a hundred henchmen and then said, all right, well, I guess I have to go to fisticuffs against a hundred more. Um, and then he did it, you know, and came out pretty fine. Um, whereas, uh, Lorraine like got tired fighting six people. Um, and then was that impacted the rest of her fight? Absolutely. And I have to, like, going off that, on a, on a quick tangent from that regarding the fight scenes, um, a really cool thing about the fights in this film were that, you know, Lorraine was, as I mentioned before, a complete and utter badass. And it was very clear that any that she was significantly better than any one individual she went against. But the film went out of its way to make sure that in every single moment that she had to fight, she was completely at a disadvantage, whether it be numbers, whether it be weaponry, whether it be someone else getting the jump on her. Um and I really enjoyed that because you got to have both that really intense kind of, you know, born identity feeling of an unstoppable warrior um, while still having these realistic fights where she gets the shit beat out of her and comes out bloody with her face all swollen. Yeah. Um, so it's not just her like walking around killing everybody with one hit. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. super powerful. I, th- I really enjoyed that too. That was a good call out. Um, uh, speaking of our leading lady, uh, I thought this was kind of cool that, like, it used to be basically a death sentence to turn 30 as a Hollywood actress um, to get, like, the leading action roles. Um, Charlize Theron is 40. Uh, and she's, for Hollywood, she's old. She's hot. She does kung fu, but she's old. Like, and I, I think that's that's a step in the right direction uh, of, you know, kind of breaking down that like, Hey, you don't have to be like the 18 year old actress to get the, the, you know, the action movie role. Uh, you know, it, you can be older and it, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, so keep on bringing in the older, older ladies is what Mike Blewett and the down in front podcast is saying. Um, absolutely. Pro milf, pro gilf, pro g Two little things to end. Um, I really like that they didn't have really backstories, which I'm going to say I'm a huge hypocrite for saying that. Because uh, a week ago for uh, Dunkirk, um, I said that I didn't like that. Um, in this movie, because the characters had arcs to them, they started at one place and ended at the other, and it also had a central narrative um, and some like a plot with twists to it. Um, I think that it was nice that you only learned about these characters in the two hours that we were given and didn't have any sort of preconceived notation uh, notions 
heading into it. Um, I really thought that brought up the mystery and that really drove home the reveal at the end because you spent the entire time wondering who Satchel is and then it turns out that it's your main character the whole time. Um, one is she? Well, yeah, I mean, but you, you also didn't know who Satchel was really playing for, USA, USA, USA. Um, one little nerd thing, uh, at the end, uh, they had the whole splite, tape splicing thing, and I've done that, and that is awful. Like, it is absolutely brutal to do, um, and it's brutal to do well with that much audio. Um, I really like the call-out to the old style of having to put everything together like Warren's going to do with this podcast afterwards. Um, it's so much easier in the digital realm. Do you think you would be able to do it in a black lit hotel room, smoking a cigarette, looking as cool and badass as Charlize Theron? No, oh my God. no, no. <laughs> that hotel was the least practical hotel I've ever seen. If it's not for like, just specifically for like sex orgies, I don't understand why that hotel. <laughs> I just like there was a neon trip on the TV itself that she was watching. Personally, I thought the in bed radio and cassette player was like the greatest thing I've ever seen, and cool. I want one. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to definitely echo what a lot of people necessarily said. I have a couple different call-outs. That fight scene, I think it was the last fight scene, the longest one. It was almost, I think it actually was a continuous shot of just her, her starting was taking out the actual two snipers that was there to just kicking ass. And like when, she's, when you see her hit up, like like throw a punch much like Blue was talking about you can see she put her entire body into it and that's taken like a lot out of her um, even to the point that like, she becomes sourceful she becomes really like, very very crafty of trying to use the uh, sniper rifle and trying to use it she knows that she can't actually shoot it but she's going to use it as a weapon to then fight the next two or three people that you know Spyglass has told her she's like there's, there's two more here and you can clearly see that he's bleeding out which is not a good sign but you actually kind of see we know that it was happening and I guess there was just so much simultaneous action happening in that scene that I was arguably one of my better one of the best fight scenes that I've ever liked and even seen in a long time because she's just given her all in that scene much like Daredevil and he's like super tired and Daredevil season one he's super tired in that long continuous scene we get some of us here and I also just thought that was a very just powerful way to just to just to look at it then you see her then start using and not only her but she's fighting this guy who she's already stuck in the face with a pair of keys that he's uh. like yeah i know he's it's in his cheek and i love that they 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 stop on it they hold on it for just a second because it's in his cheek and he's like what the fuck it like just messes like messes her up earlier in the scene pulls it out and just walks away like it's literally nothing's happened so it's absolutely crazy but he comes back and she gets her revenge of fighting with like a hot iron fighting with like everything you can think of even she had told when they went into the room, she told Spyglass to, you know, find something to uh, to stop the bleeding. And you can see him as she's waiting to fight. And she starts fighting. You see him in the background with some a bunch of uh, paper towels or uh, some sort of cloth. And he's dousing his gunshot with a bunch of vodka in the back. And I'm sitting there like, what? there's absolutely no focus on that at all. You know that she's kicking ass. You can see her actually fighting. And I think that's... That that's what's happening all over the place, and this camera, the camera work itself, was just kind of spinning and kind of following the action. I just thought it was a very, very strong, just a very, very powerful moment. Um, just yeah, it's really cool like that they always bring um, that 
you don't need superheroes in every single movie. And when you bring it down to that grounded level that like, hey, these are people that are super trained, that know how to fight, that have do physically things that go beyond average human beings. Yeah. There's a breaking point. They get gassed and stuff. And it's really impressive to see like what are they gonna do to get that little extra part out of themselves to win that fight? Yeah, speaking of on uh, onto the whole notion of her not being super, um, you know, in that there's a fight where she is in a hotel room and she's been uh, set up and the police show up, or not a hotel room, it's a regular building. The police show up to the apartment and they storm the apartment and there's a ton of police officers and they all have guns. So she immediately knows that she is outnumbered and outmatched. So the first thing she does, knowing that she, they know that she's there, is she walks over to the stereo and she blast the music as loud as possible so that she has the so she has her sound covered and she has one one advantage against them when she starts the fight and that's that was just like a, such a cool touch aside from just having another moment where they can add a new 80s song it just showed that sort of mentality of her being like mentally prepared to do whatever she had to do to survive regardless of what the odds are yeah i love that scene and i'm glad it was gonna be an awesome segue here mocha because that scene alone was probably one of the most badass scenes I can think of when uh, in um, uh, the Matt Damon, come on, help me out, Matt Damon fighter movie. The Born Tomatoes series? Well, yeah, the, or Born series. The Born series, yeah. But when he's fighting with that, that magazine, and he's just yeah. fucking up the guy with the magazine, so I was like, okay, the, now that's some gangster shit. She does this <laughs> with a fucking uh, garden hose? Come on, like she just fucks up these dudes I think it's like six to eight of them and she just messes them up and that sort of rubber that she's like rubbing around like she's actually wrapping around her hand to like punch people with like that I'm sure that actually hurts and uh, you know definitely we had chatted about this before I'm just glad that she had the uh, the sense to uh, she could have easily killed people, but she she knew that like these are police officers, and that was something that she didn't necessarily want. But she's at least going to incapacitate them for a little bit. Um, and forgive me if I'm wrong, like she she probably fucked them up pretty badly, but she didn't kill them, so that was definitely kind of a good sign for that. Um, I also like the fact that they introduced something a little bit different. Like there's always something like a hidden disc, right? Or there's some sort of like secret like coded message somehow that's like digital electronic or whatever. Um, but this focused on a watch, and we actually never saw the quote-unquote list, right? We never saw it, we never knew, but we knew kind of what was on it, and it's like all agents' information and things like that. But we didn't quite see exactly how people were to get the information out of it. Um, but we see Charlize Theron's character, Lorraine, go to the watchmaker and talks about this other watch and how she took the watch apart to then de- decode the message, which is on the gears on the inside of the watch that's... I mean, it's that's a very that's a very smart that's a very cool way to kind of to, to hide a message, and I think that was a very kind of powerful moment that I, I just liked about it. it. I feel like they glossed over it a little bit too quick, uh, but they could have definitely kind of given that props to that because that's some true finite work to kind of get that message across. So that's some spy ass spy shows. That's, that, that's some spy ass yeah. spy shit. Yeah. This film had one of the like one piece of equipment that I feel like every good spy film needs, and that is a garrote. Um, every spy film needs somebody to pull a tiny cord out of their wrist and then choke someone to death with it. And this movie had it, so it that's has good to. enough for me. Although, like he fa- he fails, he fails. David fails a few different times. That scene. Okay, guys, were you laughing or were you like cringeworthy? That when he gets stabbed in the back. And he's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he's like struggling to get it, but he literally doesn't get it at all. And then he leans back and hits the wall and it pushes in further. He's like, oh shit, oh shit. Uh, yeah. I, I, I had a good laugh. I thought at that, that was movie. funny. I thought but, it was funny. But look, like, yeah. look at that, like that part, right? He's, that's a funny part, but he just killed somebody. Like that's a, that's another tough thing to try to sell of. Man, that's really difficult that you're going to put this weird, dark, humorous kind of thing that's kind of weird of literally what you just did was stab somebody in the back by killing them. And that's what happened to you. I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. But that I'm, I'm that goes along perfectly with this kind of like laissez-faire, uh, do everything and everything's a party kind of characterization. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did like that. And the last thing, uh, I guess that my last win of this moment was, I'm glad they went there. And the reason why I'm glad they went there is, you know what? I'm glad they put a sex scene in this movie. That it wasn't a stereotypical sex scene at all. I'm glad that it was the same sex as a woman-on-woman sex scene that they put in this movie that was quite quite possibly awesome. And I'm, I'm so excited to actually see something like this. I really wish that they'll expand on this a little bit more. Uh, because I, I, I don't know, like, I would love to talk to people who actually watch the movie besides you goons to see if pe- that made people feel uncomfortable at all. Uh, is obviously our approach is going to be a bit different. Um, but I'm at least, I, I'm ready and looking at it to the point where, you know, if it happens here, if it's going to be two, two women, I'm going to be sitting in the movie theater. If it's going to be two men, that's fine. Like, as long as there's going to be some sort of passion in that particular point. Like, just make it so that people are, just feel okay with it. And, um, that's what I was just kind of, I was just promising for that. Because it was something that, you know, you have somebody here, Lorraine's character, who was very, um, veteran. And it could have easily been a love story in the beginning with the, the dead spy. But they kind of twisted it and spun it a completely different way. That it, it wasn't about James McAvoy and Charlie Theron's character of David and Lorraine getting together. Because there was already a bunch of different hints. I think Brian even mentioned the fact that James McAvoy is being pinned down, almost choked on the bed, somehow still perfectly has a, a cigarette set up in his mouth that he's still smoking so that Charlize Theron's character can pluck it out of his mouth, continues to smoke it, and she was like, oh, you wish? Come on, that's some serious sexual tension there. Uh, but I'm yeah, glad I didn't go with I that. I have a question about that sex scene for you. Did you think that was, like, because... Uh, Lorraine and Delphine had some romantic feelings toward another, or do y'all think they? Do you think they were doing their jobs, which is being spies and trying to just get everybody into a portal position to get information? Yeah, I, I mean, the way that I was looking at it, I'm interested to see, see you guys' approach. Is that I thought I thought it was just a, just a little, you know, kind of fucking moment. Like shit happens. Like there was a bunch of shit that was going wrong. Like she knew that she was watching her, and she was be, like she was this little spy. But there was so much more information that was... The, the world was so big that you just have to appreciate these, these smaller things. They had like a weird kind of spark. Even for when they were kind of talking to each other. Um, so I, I, I'm glad you came with it. a crazy life. Get it when you can. Yeah. I think that it was all business. Because that's the characterization that we were presented the entire movie. Like it was just... Yeah, that's what I need to do. I made contact with the, uh, the French uh, representative. Um, I would like to say this as kind of like a... Um, I'm glad that they did a lesbian scene because uh, progress and yay progress. Um, I would like to say that I don't think you could find the most hillbilly southern person and they're not going to complain about a hot French chick and a hot Australian chick 
you know, doing the dirty. Like, there's no one that's going to complain about that. True. Um, I think they... Uh, it was raised to my uh, attention. South African. I got the the Charlie Theron. Yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I was actually in the process of looking that up. I was like, I didn't think that she was. Australian, yeah, but my my apologies specifically and directly to Charlie Theron. I know you're out there with one of the dads. Um, of course. So the I, I would like to say it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I I think the South might riot if it was like two men, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's still probably not going to fly, but we're working our our way there. If it was not James McAvoy and John Goodman, I'll be down. Mocha. Oh, I I just want to make it clear to everyone listening at home who may or may not have been triggered by the preceding conversation. I want you all to know that I've done a fun podcast. We were not fans of the woman on woman sex scene because we're perverts. We're fans of that scene because we're feminists. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, small PSA. We should, we should just leave the episode with that. <laughs> uh, excuse me, there will be a scene Our in which PSA. we talk about this. Down in front podcast, not perverts. <laughs> just feminists. Just feminists. Uh, uh, Riley, your thoughts on the sex scene? Uh, it was exactly hot and steamy. I mean, those are two of the most beautiful women in Hollywood right now. And Sophia Butella and Charlotte Theron. The two most beautiful women in Hollywood? Two of the. There's many beautiful women. All right. But you can't deny that, hey, we're watching a movie. There's going to be some beautiful ladies in this. You forgot Charlie Hunnam. You realize that. Is he a woman? Charlie Hunnam's great. Charlie Hunnam, is, he surpasses all form of gender. Um, he is simply the hottest <laughs> Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> if he was a celestial, he'd just be beauty. Well, I mean, uh, uh, shout out to Wicked Game Podcast for uh, for definitely having our, uh, our their section of their love for Charlie Hunnam. So I'm definitely going to be making sure that they hear about this section for sure. Oh, yeah. We're, we're with you on that, boys. Don Mahoney, shout out. We love Charlie Hunnam, too. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Warren, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, I thought it was a really good thing to include in the movie that it brought something extra to the uh, story that they were telling. And it's good to show that, um, hey, your job is crazy and it's uh, intense. And sometimes the more human things of life you may not have time for, but. If there is an opportunity for it, why not take it? Yeah, I mean, and it's just like the more kind of recent episode. Of, I know we've talked about this before. I'm just glad that you see powerful women in these um, scenarios, in these situations. It doesn't necessarily have to be about sex all the time, although the reference I'm going to bring up is Cersei. But, you know, at the same time, it's like something that, you know, it happens. And it's kind of funny, but I, it's just definitely good just to see people get... Like women get as much power, and this is a movie about Charlize Theron's character. And yes, there was a sex scene, but at the same time, she did all this other shit. And I truly feel that people are going to be only talking about this movie about the sex scene and not about anything else. Um, so I, I'm just glad that we can put her more into the limelight. She absolutely crushed it at Furiosa, but everybody looked her over in that movie and said Tommy Hardy was great. And, and, you know, in Mad Max, the movie was phenomenal, but. That should have been called, but no, no, that, but that movie should have been called Furiosa and not Mad Max. I mean, that, that's my thing about that. Mad Max is the name of the franchise. And I think everyone was calling it like the feminist film of the year because Charlize Theron was like unbelievable in it. Can we just meet halfway and call it Mad Max Furiosa Road? Oh, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I will. (laughs) I will do that. 
So I'm pumped. I'm glad that we all enjoy this movie. I'm glad that we all have some solid like likes on and wins of this movie. But I know that there's some things that didn't quite work. Uh, and so I'm interested to kind of chat about Bradley and all as, as well as always start with you of uh, what some things that just didn't work and some criticism of the movie. Alright, so you have one of the best actresses in Hollywood right now in Charlize Theron. And you want her to be the lead in an action movie. And yeah, you definitely bring the action, but do you bring the character? That's the thing about this movie that kind of hurts me the most is she doesn't really get a lot to build out who her character is. Uh, much like Blue was saying, like um, his uh, hypocrisy of wanting to explain in one movie and not another. I think this movie would have benefited if there was like something that established her as the type of spy she is. So, like, if there was a previous mission that she was on, we're just seeing her wrap that up. Kind of like how they do, like, the James Bond opening credit scene. You kind of get a feel for where he's at and what he's doing right now. That would been really cool to see about, uh, about her character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that the script let her down in many different ways. Like, the movie is very messily put together. Like, I want to see the script just to see how many times... It says Lorraine reacts by taking a long drag on a cigarette because it's like the exact same framing of her head and and shot every single time. Repeated. They don't do anything to change it. That she takes a long drag on a cigarette whenever someone says something coy to her, and she just gives them a steely eye gaze a lot of times. And I wanted to see a little bit more out of this uh, spy. Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I also feel like having not. Having no um, connection to her character a lot, though, yeah, having right. that lack of establishment of her character, kind of uh, the reveal of her being a triple agent feels very tacked on. Like that whole last 10 minutes of the movie feels like it's from a totally different movie. Uh, even the action scene, that action scene is totally different than. The other scenes of the movie, it's not as brutal. It's not as realistic. It's she grabs a gun and cleanly kills six people with no, no without breaking a sweat mm-hmm. type of thing. I was like, okay, so has she been dumbing down who she is the whole time? And she's just showing who she actually is as a spy in this scene? Uh, or is did they really not pay attention to what type of movie they were making? Uh, for like, for instance, when uh, Delphine dies, when Percival kills Delphine, they're showing her like feel sad that she's gone and feel emotion. Is that something she's kind of playing up because she's actually doing this triple, um, this triple uh, agent situation? It's part of her job to like, hey, let me show like I'm pissed off at him to kind of get him to open up a little bit more about who he actually is or find out where the list is. Or is it more that she truly feels bad that she's gone? Yeah. You can't, it's kind of messy and muddy that way. Yeah. Um, I also feel like the, the interview sessions, um, they take a lot away from the movie, too. I would have liked to see maybe those interview sessions be bookends for the movie and not be as interstilled into every single cut. And they, like, cut it, like, in the middle of, like, you got a lot of good energy after an action scene. You want to move on and like tell the story a little bit, and then they just cut right back to this interview session and just kind of kills everything. Yeah, it also up. it also removes any um, any possible notion in the viewer's mind that she's in any real threat at any point in the movie because we yes. know for a fact. 
that she is, survives to the end. And she's in <laughs> no matter what happens. happens. Yeah, she's got a busted lip and a cut over her eye, but otherwise, that's pretty much it. So, as a result, there's no fight scene in the movie where they're all cool, but there's no fight scene where you're really like, oh, will she make it to the end of this? Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I didn't even think about that. And now that I'm thinking, I was like, I guess that's kind of a bummer. Like, she was never in any danger, but I assume everybody else is going to die. Uh, so, I don't know. That's a good one. Yeah, and there's just uh, some huge inconsistencies with her character. They tell you she's great at undercover, but she they talk about throughout the whole movie, like, oh, my cover was blown as soon as I touched down in Berlin. Or she goes undercover to go into East Berlin, and it's like, okay, instead of a fashionable long coat, I'm wearing a fashionable hoodie and a wig. And so it's like, are you really an undercover agent? I don't really think so. Um, and uh, there's other moments where she has to get a spyglass out of East Berlin to West Berlin. And that um, she tells him, like, I've never lost a package before. Uh, and it's like, okay, so you're a spy that's really an expert at... Uh, getting people out of hot zones or delivering packages or delivering dead drops uh, when necessary. And so she's becoming a spy of convenience. It's just she becomes what you need her to be at that moment's notice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have helped to have just a little bit more information with that because I definitely feel like it was very plot-driven of like, oh, this has to happen, so automatically, automatically, there we go, um, she's going to already have this skill, the perfect this the perfect set amount of skills to, uh, to do whatever needs to be done in that particular kind of task. So I, I definitely kind of see that for that, and I can see how that can be construed through the movie. Yeah, and my other big thing about it that I have an issue with is, um, even though I like the choreography of all the action scenes, I don't think every single one is put together just as well. The apartment building one is fantastic. That's like one of the best action scenes I've seen this year. Uh, and it definitely will stay with me. But uh, the one where she fights the police or she's fighting in the theater in East Berlin, um, they feel kind of uh, not put together as good as that one. Could have been. You don't have the same kineticism. You don't have the same framing of the shots, and so uh, they they come off as kind of bland, even though the choreography is still really nice in them. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I'm gonna toss yeah. it over to Mocha. Yeah. So I know I mentioned earlier during the uh, pro section of this conversation that I had a lot of fun watching this film, and I definitely did. I don't want that to be misconstrued. However, um, it is not without its sins. Um, I feel like this film. It really did its best to approach every possible creative trick it could throughout the duration of the film. Um, and I think that that um, was a downside to it. It didn't really feel like there was any sort of singular, cohesive vision to what the director wanted to do. Um, more like he was excited to get a chance to try all these ideas that he had. What resulted from that were a lot of cool scenes that individually were awesome and had some really unique th things about it, whether it was the camera work or the stylization of the shot or the settings or the approach to fightings. But when it was all put together, it just seemed more of a hodgepodge of ideas than, you know, a solid, than one solid vision. Um, this applies to the plot as well, you know. The plot, I thought, was relatively hard to follow. It wasn't impossible to follow. It wasn't super difficult. But it was kind of thin. And ultimately, I felt like it was unnecessary in light of the cool action scenes. 
So what this movie turned into for me was just a series of breaks while I waited for the next cool fight scene, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. You know, I think that they had a really cool idea for a story here, especially with that big plot twist at the end with Lorraine being a triple agent for the U.S. Go USA. Um, but it fell short because because of all the things that I've already mentioned. Um, you know, I wanted to know more about her. I don't really have an answer for how that should have been done within the framework of this movie. But I do want to know more about who she is. And even if that isn't who she is as a U.S. federal agent, but who she was as the spy that we followed the entire time, you know, like Brian had mentioned, started off James Bond style. Let's see what she was doing before she went uh, to Berlin or before she started this mission. Give us just a little bit more. Um, also, in conjunction with what Brian said, this movie is the first movie I've ever seen that should have come with a Surgeon General's warning at the beginning. Like, before <laughs> like before the title card, just Surgeon General's warning, you will get lung cancer watching this film because there was an inordinate amount of cigarette drags. And they were. it got to the point where it was comical because, like Brian said, they were all the same shot. She's standing in front of, like, and the, the camera's just, like, square on her face. She's... Like looks really sultry and takes this long drag and the end lights red and then she blows it in the face of either the person she's talking to or the camera itself and then sets some line and it transitions out or whatever um, and it really was just it got to the point where I was just like laughing at the actual smoking scenes it got um, so goofy yeah it really I didn't know if they were just trying to be meta and make fun of themselves or if they actually thought that the coolness of cigarettes increases with the amount of times you drag them through in a two hour period but either way, it just didn't work out in the end for me. Um, I feel like I, you know, I was born in the 80s. I love 80s music. I love this era of music that they were looking at. Um, but I feel like with the soundtrack, you know, their selections for 80s songs, a lot of times just didn't work with the scene that was being shown. Um, almost as if there was an insincerity to it, you know, rather than trying to find the perfect possible song for this moment, they were like, okay, what are some recognizable 80s pop songs that would be cool to have in it? Um, it just didn't feel like there was any heart to the decisions. Conversely, whenever they use music that wasn't 80s pop music, it worked phenomenally. Um, the one that comes to mind as the most notable example is when Lorraine steps into the bar to meet Delphine and meets Delphine for the first time. They're playing an 80s pop song, and it's just weird and doesn't really fit with the scene while she's slow-mo walking through this bar. And then suddenly someone snaps their finger to light a torch for her cigarette. And with the finger snap, the music changes over to the jazz music that's actually playing. And the rest of the scene was so, so, so cool with that light jazz music playing in the background. It complemented the that like smooth seduction that was going on between the two characters. It added this air of mystery, and it just worked so well. And I just wish it could have been that for the entire movie. Yeah, um, to add on to just like the 80s music selection, like there were some givens. Yeah, you're going to hear 99 Luft Balloons uh, in this movie just because you're in Berlin. Uh, but um, I think that was it was really cool to hear a David Bowie selection like Cat People be played right. because that's a very like not known 80s David Bowie song that's really good um, but I do agree with you that it sounds like he's like yeah it sounded it was just like they looked at their playlist on their phone and said let me pull from my 80s playlist and just slap a song into it a lot yeah who died last year? Uh, George Michael, David Bowie, they sang in the 80s. Let's put them in here. Yeah, and I mean, even on. like Till Tuesday's Voices Carry, that that song's about spousal abuse. And where does it really fit in any moment in this movie? 
Even though well, you could song. think of like the their coupled uh, Lorraine and uh, Percival. Mike, you actually raised a good point, um, and I kind of I'm going back and forth. Uh, I think that I I'm a sucker again for like terrible '90s techno, which the, the original score was absolutely chock full of it. Um, but I also think it would be interesting to imagine if they did a full noir uh, score for it and just made it like a New York style, like smooth, jazzy soundscape. That could have been really interesting to undercut the hyper violence that we saw, you know, in the action. Yeah, yeah it would undercut the hyper violence. Uh, even one of these techno songs that's like part of the original score, it's just, it's accompanied by Marilyn Manson screaming on it. It's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> See, I was fine with that part. I, I, lo- I love the original score. It's it's just terrible, terrible techno music, and that gets an A-plus for me. Yeah, none of the 80s music, I feel like, just really matched with the character that Charlize Theron brought to the film, to the screen, and the 80s music was almost always on, like, on while she was the focus of the, of the shot. So I just feel like... I feel like he tried to pull a James Gunn and wanted to do something like the, like what James Gunn did with Guardians of the Galaxy, um, but just was a, way more insincere about it, and it showed through. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I can definitely see that. I was I was getting more of a feeling of the Edgar Wright, which kind of sort of borrowed it from James Gunn, which I'm pretty sure borrowed. Like, I, I, it was very weird. I guess the last couple of movies I've seen, I've seen a lot of weird music being almost interjected, almost as if it's another character, another entity in the movie. Um and it's, it's happening, I guess, because we've seen them all this year. I'm like, damn, did everybody do this last year? And then, like, come up, or, like, a couple years ago and say, this is a great idea all at the same time. Um, so I thought that was kind of strange. But, you know, sometimes some of it worked, some of it didn't. I think some of the moments were, especially when, uh, man, the Russian guy, the head Russian guy was beating the kid with a skateboard. Uh, and then, like, power stomps that stereo and it just shatters into a million pieces. I was like, that's that's a hard stomp. Uh, I mean, I, like the music there, I can see where it kind of worked. There were just other moments, that, especially the car radio that was going in and out and turning it down, turning it up. Some of it was a bit more distracting for me that I was just like, it would have been, been nice to not have the music and just only work on like an audio uh, portion of that, of like hearing the other stuff that was happening to it. Um, or just having background sort of music, like you were talking about Mocha of the jazz in the club. So we don't, we can, we can actually focus on like, seeing what's actually happening and not oh this oh I like the song oh we have to make sure we have a good soundtrack with the they had a good soundtrack but it's not the focus of that scene the scene should be either focusing on how this 41 year old looks amazing maybe or focusing on like how she's just slyly being able to kind of fit into any scenario maybe you know there's a lot of other ways and a lot of other things that you can focus on but you know sometimes the audio and just the music kind of took over so I was kind of yeah talking. Um, you know, aside from the music itself, another thing that got to me about this film was Sophia Boutella's character, Delphine. Um, so Sophia Boutella is fantastic. She's a great actress, and she did a good job in her role. But I felt like her character was kind of pointless. I mean, she comes into the stage as, an, as another spy, right? She's a third party that's now in the mix. And when she showed up, I got excited. I was like, oh, cool. This is, you know, this is a wild card. This is a, a French spy. So now we have someone from a third country. You know, what is she going to do? How is she going to, you know, mix things up in this plot? And then Charlize Theron calls her out on being a spy. And then she says, oh, sorry, it's my first day and I'm nervous. But now I'm in love with you. And the rest of the movie, her character was just a vessel to drive... Charlize Theron's 
capacity for emotion, um, which that's an important thing to get across to show that even though she's this person of multiple identities and is constantly in fear of her life, she still does have human emotions. I feel like you could have gotten that sort of character development for Lorraine in a bunch of other ways without wasting a solid actress um, like Sofia Butella, especially an actress whose role in this film was had the opportunity to be very impactful on the drama and the intrigue that was going on. Um, so I felt like, you know, yeah, that was a bit of a, of a wasted opportunity. Um, and yeah, then there, if there's one thing I want more is like more of Sophia Batella. I mean, I thought she was going there. Her character was definitely something that's a lot more interesting than some other characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just too brief. Yeah. Well, they I made th- the, they made the damsel in distress trope, uh, in what could have been like a really good, like chick power flick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they, I don't like those characters in any film, regardless of the gender. But like when you have such a strong female lead, you somehow still had like the weak female, like please save me type thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought it'd yeah. be pretty cool if you like. Obviously, the movie wouldn't be called Atomic Blonde, but maybe with a wig. What if Sophia Spatella's character would have then stepped in as like she was a new and upcoming, and you know you switch roles. Not fully, but at least she's the one who's telling the story in the end, and we think that it may be uh, Lorraine or Charlize Theron's character, and how she's the one who ended up surviving because she's getting more experience, and Charlize Theron's kind of like at the end of her rope, um, sort of thing. I, I mean, it, it could have been interesting, but you know, we got what we got. Yeah, and just a final note. Um, speaking of Sophia Patella's character, I have to disagree a little bit with what you were saying earlier, Warren. Um, I actually, I didn't dislike the sex scene. I thought it was great. I thought it was well executed, and I was really excited, as you said, to see this sort of like empowering moment where you have a scene between. That's a very clear moment between two women, um, you know, shown on film in all of its glory. Um, that's great in terms of like progressive and just seeing new things in film. However, that scene lasted like like fifty seconds, like or maybe it was one hundred twenty seconds. It went a while. It was too short. Um, oh, so- uh, it was too short. <laughs> no, no, I think it just went uh, It went a little bit further than it needed to and crossed the, that really thin boundary between um, progressive and empowering to maybe just a little bit too much, um, you know, fan service, that fan scene, service maybe. That scene was only three minutes, 15 seconds. Like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't. <laughs> three minutes and 15 seconds is a lot of time in a spy movie, in any movie for that matter. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, still, though, I thought that, um, you know, all the positives that were here in the movie, the fun, those are some legitimate concerns that kind of took me out of it from moment to moment. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. If I could add, like, one little piece of trivia about the original score. So the original techno score is done by a guy named Tyler Bates. He's an American musician. Um, his previous works have been Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And he I was like, I knew that. for the American rock band Marilyn Manson. So he did the orchestral <laughs> version of Guardians. Like, yeah. I don't think he's, I don't know if he's actually credited with the other version, like the other songs that was like spicing together. But he did like the orchestra version of the Guardians portion of, which, which is still a very good version, but... Literally, no one's going to hear because of the other one's so good. Um, he also did John Wick. So he basically did all the movies that we've referenced so far. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, we never talked about Guardians 2 here, right? I literally just did. 
or needs to pay attention. Mm. Uh, blow it. What things that didn't work for you? I've got some things. Um, if I could pull my list up, sorry. <laughs> At least this time the audio's on, so now everyone can hear. Uh, well, this is going to get cut, but. Um, hi, Caroline. She can't hear me, can you? She says hi. Yeah. Um, so, I, I thought the biggest thing. So, these movies. So, I think that there's not a ton that really, you know, I can say against this movie. Like, the biggest thing to me is that it didn't really bring anything too, too new to the table. Like, if you've seen John Wick, at this point in all of our movie, uh, you know, watching, if you've seen John Wick, if you've seen. Um, like the Matrix, if you've seen the Blade trilogy, if you've seen uh, my, one of my personal favorites, Equilibrium, like you go back and watch yeah. any of these stylized, like new foo kind of movies, um, then you're really not going to get anything new out of this. And I specifically kind of, um, I think the big one really is that it didn't really bring anything new to the, the table. If you've seen a collection of uh, John Wick, The Matrix, uh, one of my, like my personal favorites, uh, Equilibrium, and you have any of these like new foo type movies, which is a coin I'm phrasing to basically mean any sort of kung fu, but with like alternative things. So like you can throw in like Muay Thai, the gun stuff, Jimkata. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you just have like, all that that fun stuff. So any of these new foo movies that are based either in the dystopian future or the dystopian fast. You've seen Atomic Blonde, and it had a kind of interesting twist at the end uh, that really wasn't telegraphed too incredibly well. I actually thought, personally, that she was going to turn out to be Russian uh, because all she did was drink vodka. And the first thing they said about her was, your Russian is good. So I was like, oh, she's definitely going to be Satchel. So it did kind of twist it when she turned out to be Rush, uh, excuse me, American. Um, but, yeah, it was very – it was very, like – good movie it's not something that i'm ever going to come back to though and i think that's again a, a big criticism where like i can go back and look forward to well, you know, speaking of the last couple movies like i can look forward to seeing spider-man in my mcu rewatch um i'm gonna look forward to go seeing wonder woman when i do a dc you know rewatch like i could sit down and watch dunkirk again to have that panic attack for two hours you know if i'm ever feeling good about my life and i'm like you know what i just hate this too much and i need to knock myself down a peg um then i can do that whereas like this i'll throw it on if it's on fx if you know uh, on a saturday afternoon but realistically i'm never gonna go back on netflix or hulu and be like you know what i really want to go see atomic blonde um i thought a lot of things worked and nothing really outstandingly didn't work for me it just it felt like I watched it before. Yeah, one thing to add to that is that, yeah, their, their story MacGuffins are probably the most played out story MacGuffins in spy uh, movies. So the list of spies being the thing that you need to get. Um, I mean, there's a lot more ways we can actually tell a spy movie. It doesn't always have to be a list or a microfilm or something. Uh, add something else to it. Yeah, yeah um, I think that in a, you know, in accordance with what Mike was saying, this is definitely a movie that you would watch on TNT at two in the afternoon during summer break because everyone else went to the beach and you didn't get the memo and you're just stuck at home. 
Well, I guess like, so when it comes on TV, video. you can just half watch it. Yeah. That's I mean, kind of sad. Are you all right? You need Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dunkirk. My friends right? never call me, so I'm stuck watching Atomic Blonde. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a quote-unquote adult now, so I don't get summer break anymore. Yeah, yeah me, me neither. Or Saturdays. I mean, I guess the one thing that I was like looking into it and kind of feeding off of before we start, start wrapping this up a little bit is um, I... I did want to learn a little bit more about some of these more interesting characters. Um, even for the fact that, you know, Spyglass, and we know that he's a family person and how he was trying to do that. And I felt like they introduced his character pretty well with, um, you know, David and, uh, you know, James McAvoy's character. But then he literally disappears for the entire movie, or almost the entire movie. And we see him, like, maybe once or twice, and that, that that was it. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this is this huge thing that we wanted to talk about, but we don't really kind of get that. Um, and I just like the fact that it's, he just dropped this really, really, really small thing of, oh, you know, I memorized it, and then he leaves. So that was kind of weird. Even the guy uh, in the beginning, actually, like, it's tough to even try to remember his name because it happened so quickly, but... Even the guy in the beginning who's trying to, uh, who still, who steals the watch initially, um, so I'm going to pull up his name for right now. Um, so he didn't play, so there was a James Gascion. What's up? Bakhti. Bakhti. Bakhti, yeah. No, also I'll talk about James Gascion. And, like, we didn't get anything from him, which is cool. That's fine. It's a mysterious way. We got a couple of shots that says, be careful. So I'm assuming that he knew that she was satchel. Uh, but Bakhtin was alive the entire movie with no issues until the plot says, hey, I think it's time for you to die. And he yeah. just randomly dies. Uh, so I thought that was a, a pretty weak moment because, you know, we know and he even like the Gassion characters even says that, hey, he's like the worst spy ever. Uh, I guess jokingly wise, but we don't see him do anything at all. Uh, except literally just goes in says hey I have a watch and tell people to sell it and then he dies by getting stabbed in, uh, in the head with a pickaxe or ice uh, pickaxe I think ice pick ice pick there we go so they pulled out a pickaxe in that scene it would have been amazing this <laughs> <laughs> comes out of his coat I get those mixed up um, so I was kind of bummed I guess one of the last things I know I don't want to like definitely rehash on things that was already been said but I thought it was a very weak moment that you know, David's character was wearing the watch at the end of, like, Percival wearing the watch this entire time. I felt it was a little reckless, a little weird, uh, a little not spy-y. Um, well, they were all wearing the watch all of the time. Like, someone was always wearing it. Yeah, which is... Bakhtin was wearing it when he went to meet Percival. Um, yeah. Charlie's, uh, Lorraine was wearing it when she went to meet Bramovich. Yeah. The other thing that I do have a question about is how in the hell did he know where she was before the times he bugged her jacket? Like, Percival, at the airport? Percival's character. No, Percival's character. No, like meeting her at the airport? Or? Well, no, no. Yeah. Uh, no, no, they knew that they were supposed to meet up at the airport, but like she went to the bar, right? Like she went to that nightclub before she even went no, over to the, his place? No, the, no? The, the jacket was bugged immediately because remember he was driving through and she said, oh, my hotel's around the corner and he said, no, you come this way. You have to live a little. Ah, uh, okay. So that's it was, it was like as soon as they got home. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. 
<laughs> that'll be like my a uh, couple things as well i just kind of want a little bit a, a bit more i was kind of lacking i was like but well, i was kind of bummed i was like i feel like this movie's gonna end so things are gonna wrap up too quickly there it is there it is there it is uh that's kind of a bummer but uh you know the fact that she ended up being american i was just like Alright, but at the same time, there were so many twists on twists on twists, I thought for sure the movie was going to end until you gave me another twist, and then I thought the movie was going to end until you gave me another twist of, oh, she's American, and I thought she was Russian, but then we thought she was British. Guys, Donald Trump said he was going to put America first, and this is a perfect example of that. <laughs> she wasn't even American until Donald Trump became president. One, one, thing, I, I, <laughs> one thing I want to say is the... Uh, I, I can actually agree with Warren's strategy of not seeing trailers because the one of the trailers, or at least the big TV spot, had the hotel room fight in it. Uh, and so really? the whole time, yeah, the whole time I was just like, wow, I can't believe like a heavy-handed part of the marketing was the last scene in the movie. And uh, you know, not that it really ruined it because you didn't because context matters in this case, and that's why, uh, unlike Warren, I'm fine with watching trailers because. You have realistically no idea what's going on. Um, but it, it's funny because I think the reason they did it was because it was the most glamorized fight scene they had. Like she wasn't like bloodied or bruised or anything. And it was in a pretty location. Um, but it was a little bit weak that it's like, OK, well, the movie's wrapping up. I know there's one more fight scene. I wonder what it's going to be like, you know. Sir, uh, any last thoughts before we start wrapping up? I myself am all right. I think we said a solid bit about this I've, movie. I've said my piece. Cool. So let's talk about the grades in Atomic Blonde and where it kind of stands. Uh, not quite in all the, like the spy movies, but at least for right now in this sort of year for the few few films that we've seen so far. Actually, a lot of films. Um, you know, where does it stand up? Where does it rank in? Like, what's the grades, uh, Bradlin? Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna give this movie a C plus. Uh, it's definitely a visually pretty movie, uh, but. It's just got too much uh, messiness about how it's built and everything, and it's a real letdown that the script does not uh, give Charlize Theron as much to go with as being a spy, as well as the action scenes. Fair. Cool. Mocha? Yeah, so I, too, will have to give this movie a C+. Um, it's a very fun action movie um, that often comes off as shallow due to its lacking in both plot and a cohesive vision. Definitely a good summer pulp, but don't run to the theaters if you don't have money to burn. That's fair. Uh, blow it. I forgot your name. Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. It is forgettable. Um, doesn't sound funny at all. Nope. Um, I gave it a B. It was fun stuff, uh, but I would like to very much say that I like these types of movies, and uh, it, it is definitely being graded as a result of the genre rather than kind of the merit of the film. Fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm also going to give this a movie a B. I was really glad to the fact that they at least gave it something that we hadn't quite seen before. Like, we have a female woman character that's kicking ass that doesn't have anything to do with, like, superpowers. Uh, and she's holding her own. She's getting exhausted. She's getting tired fighting people twice her size. Um, they at least went there and, like, they had a sex scene, although it may be uncomfortable with other people. They, they at least did that and said, you know, fuck it. Like, we're going to say sorry or who gives a shit after that. We, we don't care. Um, but there were still a lot of things that just kind of fell for this movie, and I was kind of bummed that I felt like these are things that they could have fixed. Uh, but, you know, who knows? And uh, I thought it was pretty good. So my well, last grade is going to be a B. So, so with that, we will say 
thank you everyone. Uh, thank you Arizona Ice Tea. Um, thank you uh, Charlize Theron. Thank you Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, thank you everybody for hanging out. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Haha. <laughs> thank you, Brylan. Uh, I'm interested to know, uh, Brylan, where can you find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brylan. Um, I will say, if you hate your own great toy as much as I do, please uh, retweet me or get at me because we have a lot of conversations to uh, talk about. And you can also see my many reviews through my Instagram, which is I am Brylan. Cool. Yeah. Mocha, where can you find more of your work? Sure. So you can find me talking in 140 characters or less about the fall of the Republic at at Mocha Mike Li. That's the Lord intended. Um, you can't find me at Mocha Mike because there is an older gentleman who has that username who unfortunately was killed with a garrote by a German quadruple agent and now no longer has the ability to give me the name that I so rightfully deserve. So at Mocha Mike Li for Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram posting some bomb photography at mocha mike and you can also check me out on medium medium.com slash at mocha mike where i will be posting uh some long form reviews about the movies that we talk about here on the podcast nice thanks man i appreciate it uh blow it the shredder where can you find more of your work or more of your shows around town Yo, what up, players? Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know why I did that in my intro voice. Can we just cut that in post? <laughs> oh, you have an intro voice? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, welcome, to the, welcome, to the, welcome to the pod. What up, players? What's up, players? Hang on, I was just really excited for this Charlie body So the thing is, though, that it goes into the, the tone of voice with my band, uh, Mayanus, uh, you can find us on most major platforms at My News Band or My News Music, you know, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I think, uh, Bandcamp, um, SoundCloud for the four seconds unless Chance the Rapper buys it. Um, we are playing next week sometime, maybe, I think. Yeah, somewhere. Uh, should be fun. Uh, I don't, uh, it's next week, but I literally have no details whatsoever. Um, also, if you really are interested in more of my personal reviews, um, you can write me at okay. more of my work. Uh, you could find me at Jesse Rand Actual Pervert at gmail.com. Um, it's funny because he, he, he originally wanted Jesse Rand, not a feminist, just a pervert at ymail.com, but I made him shorten it. <laughs> <laughs> too many characters. Yeah, it was too. It was. It was not. Yeah, it was. It was. It didn't really flow off the lips, if you will. Roll, roll off the tongue. Roll off the tongue. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. Well, we Slide are the, the air with the spittle. We are the Down in Front Podcast, and we want to say thank you so much for hanging out with us. I we know it's gonna be long, but this is gonna be a really awesome review of you know Atomic Blonde, starring Shalise Theron and James McAvoy. You can find all of our actual episodes as well. We we talk about it on Twitter, we talk about it on Facebook, we have an email. So typically follow us on depending on what particular platform you have. So we're gonna be on Apple Podcasts as well as uh, Stitcher too. So definitely find our name at Down in Front Podcast. We're going to be on Facebook, so facebook.com slash DIF, that stands for Down in Front. So facebook.com slash DIF podcast. Email us at downinfrontpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube where we put a bunch of actual sort of small little sort of teasers so you can see our beautiful faces and talk about things that we really, really enjoy. So definitely check that out as well as live tweeting events. That's going to be happening more and more. 
Um, we have a Twitter. So uh, on our Twitter, it's at underscore IGIFP. So that's, that stands for at underscore Doubted Podcast. Um, as well as we have a Patreon so that if you would love for us to continue to keep doing this, kind of helping us out as much as possible, that would be amazing. Donate $1, $2, $100, a million dollars, send me on vacation. I won't mind. Um, let us know. It's down in front. Um, it's uh, at patreon.com slash down in front. So feel free. Um, just go ahead and let us know as much as you love us. And with that, we will say thank you so much for hanging out with us. I shall pick up my wine glass and say have a good night. Bye. 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 God, Charlie Hunnam's so hot. Ha, 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 ha.